electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Tesla throttled. Late July, the stock was closing in on 300 bucks. Since then, it's dropped nearly 28%. And a new call from the street says shares could drop even more from here. A bull bear battle royale coming up. Plus, Bitcoin Bonanza, the cryptocurrency on a heater of late, up over 30% in the last 30 days and more than doubling this year. Will this rally last? We'll debate that. And later, cue the NBC on NFL theme music. One of the traders behind the big short is here to, with us on why this mystery stock could go all the way. The name and the trend. He's so bullish on ahead this hour. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the Nasdaq on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and sitting in as a guest trader tonight, Danny Moses, founder of Moses Ventures. We're going to get more at the end of the market's uh, long winning streak and that dismal 30-year Treasury auction in just a minute. But we start off with the biggest drag on the Nasdaq 100 today, Tesla dropping more than 5%, its worst decline since earnings last month. The stock nearly 30% off its highs of the year. The move coming after analysts at HSBC initiated coverage of the stock with a reduced rating, slapped it with a $146 price target. That's 30% lower than today's close. Add to that increased competition in China. Beijing-based Li Auto posting sales growth a whopping of a whopping 270% in its latest quarter. It also posted better profit margins than Tesla. The stock has well outperformed Elon Musk's company over the past year. But is China still an opportunity for Tesla? Or are the hurdles too high to jump at this point? Um, there are many people who have been bearish of Tesla on this desk. Danny Moses, this is your number one short here. Yeah, it still is. I was here July 18th, I think, right before they reported their second quarter. Um, and the quarter was okay, but they did miss second quarter del- deliveries. And then third quarter, obviously, uh, CFO stepped down prior to that and then missed those numbers. And I think now it's really become a show-me story in terms of it's an auto company. And I think people are going to start to lose patience over time here for what this company is going to be over time. And so I don't think it was down that much because of the downgrade. I think it was an excuse. A lot of stuff going out there, cyber truck delivery, et cetera. So I'm still short the name. Isn't there something that we've learned from GM and Ford in their latest quarters? And that is the EV business is much tougher for even established OEMs. So why doesn't that bolster the Tesla story? They're the ones doing it and doing it profitably at this point. The other side of that coin is they still make automobiles that people need to find. You're not walking into your local Tesla dealership and saying, here's 65 grand, give me my car. You still have to finance these things. And even Elon Musk talked about higher rates being a bit of a drag. And we can't do this, I understand. But if you were to back out that $103 print from December of 2022 and just looked at this move from October of 21 to where we are now, stock's now 50 percent. And it's not coincidental that it top ticked right before the Fed started to raise rates. So say what you want. Company now has cut prices six, seven times. Margins are going to be impacted. And I think we're starting to see it now. Yeah, I think that's really the central point. Part of their story was their margins were unlike anybody else's. Mm -hmm. And so and it it traded on this really high multiple. So if those margins compress, that margin, that multiple should also compress and you get this sort of 
double whammy. And I mean, we're talking about is it are we seeing the whole idea of the EV adoption slow down in general as well um, and then just rates higher, multiples lower? Yeah, it's interesting. So looking through this very detailed report from HSBC, um, you know, I think this is the most important point. Almost half of our discounted cash flow valuation of Tesla comes from businesses that will not generate revenues and profits until right. 28 estimate. OK, Energy storage, solar. Well, no, well, those do. So, so, so here's the ones that are not generating Okay, revenue until 2028. Okay, it's this Optimus humanoids. It's robots. Okay, it's Dojo supercomputer. And it's fully self-driving. So those other ones are. And so I, I guess the point, and I think this is what kind of Danny's getting to, is if right now it's a car company. You know what I mean? And, and it's fine that if people believe in all those other advanced technologies and that Elon is the one to push those forward, and he probably is the one to come up with the best robot or come up with the best supercomputer or whatever. But right now, if you were paying $600 billion or you were paying, to Guy's point, in late 2021, $1.2 trillion in market cap for that, there's a lot of things that have to go really well, and most of which the adoption for electric vehicles here, you need to keep to maintain share and grow share and make it more profitable. But then you need to be able to do what they hope to do in China. And so right now, just the competition and the, and, the, and the pressure on pricing and their inability to kind of create the sort of elasticity that they thought they could do by the six price cuts over the last, call it, year and a half now, is not materializing, you know. And so to me, I, I still think it's, you know, overpriced. I don't have a position in it. Every time we see Danny on the show, he comes and says, listen, I, I do think it's a short because right now, it is just an EV car company with a lot of competition. Just for the record, I was planning to be on this show prior to Tesla being down, prior to the market being mm -hmm. down. I yeah. tend to find myself on here from time to time when that does occur. <laughs> but I, I do think, like I said, I do think for now it looks like an auto company to me until all these things are on the gun. So. Let me ask you, how long have you been short Tesla? Off and on for five years, six years. Have you made money overall? I think I'm very close short. at this point. <laughs> I mean, I was down this year. It had a nice move down. I didn't take but enough you think off this the is the time. This, this is, is it. This is this it. This is it to me because I don't know why it's Magnificent Seven anymore. So they're out. As far as I'm concerned, you look at the seven companies that we talk about. I think it's SEAL Team Six mm. on Veterans Day. Wow. Well, that's I fitting. SEAL yeah. Team Six. SEAL Team Six. I think they're out it's because it's it's an auto company. We are what they, what we thought they were. See, Danny, that's why we have money. Comes up with clever things. Yeah. Right. Who's Dan's favorite band? Do you know this off the top of your head? His favorite band. You should know this because we played the music. Right, his second favorite. Pearl Jam. Pearl, <laughs> Pearl Jam. It's somebody's in your ear. And we before we started, we heard the song Black, which is by the way probably the only song you need to listen to. I mentioned that because Gary Black, who was on this show, yes, he was. On a couple weeks see ago. What there? See what I did there? That's how I tie it all together. He put out a tweet talking about how if you back out Dojo and Optimus and FSD, mm -hmm. you get $90 a share in terms of the value of the EV business. By contrast, they have it valued at $300. This chasm continues to grow in terms of where people are. And my sense is a guy like Dan Ives, who's been, you know, the axe in the space, he's going to sort of come out with a bull case in terms. It would be great if we could have him on and talk about Tesla. Yes, we will. <laughs> Very shortly. No, well, I'm just but I, I do want to ask Danny one question before we move on to this. It's 209 right now. So at what price do you say, you know what? I've made the money. I'm good. Where I'm do other companies trade right now, Guy, on a multiple mm -hmm. basis? Listen, uh, I know we're going to talk to Dan in a second, but I think if it gets back below 100 or towards 100, I'd probably take some off. But I, I think it's going to $50. No, $50. I, I, I can make a better. Listen, okay, and, and I've been. Does the world collapse around it no, as it I, goes to $50? I've, I've, said, I've said this whole cycle that we'll know that the market's corrected when Tesla finally caves, when Tesla finally gives in. 
I'm, it's, I have nothing against it. I just think it's being valued incorrectly. I think it's an auto company. Listen, I think it goes back to what I was saying about those other parts of the business. Like, again, I think if it goes down to $100, which it was trading at in January, it's probably a buy there. You know what I mean? You weren't pressing it at $100 in January. I wasn't. But I started when it got back to, like, 140 before that Q4 print in January. And I think the most important thing, every quarter that they have reported this year, the fundamentals have been deteriorating. It's that simple. So like, there's no reason to be buying it here. There's going to get lower levels. For this. Clearly, four out of four of our traders tonight are uh, negative on Tesla. So we had to bring in a pinch hitter here to play mm. the bull. <laughs> our next guest has a $310 price target on Tesla. That is nearly 50% upside from here. Let's bring in Wedbush's Dan Ives. Welcome back, Dan. Yeah, great to be here. Good to be here. Uh, yeah, great to have you. Uh, should it be kicked out of the Magnificent Seven? Does it go to 50? I mean, like, where, where do you start? I mean, I think I think six to nine months from now, the stock has a three in front of it. In term, I think it's back to above 300 as ultimately, I believe this is more of an air pocket that we're seeing from a growth perspective. I think margins start to trough out. And going into next year, I think numbers conservative. And the sum of the parts, you know, as Dan talked about, I think when you look at battery technology, FSD autonomous, I could argue it's probably one of the best AI plays out there. To me, this is more of a table pounder opportunity rather than time to hide in the cave. Can it um, grow? Can it gain market share? Can it achieve scale if China is weak? If there are issues in China? I mean, if Li Auto is really, I mean, it had a very good quarter. It it reached 100,000 units. That's the point when Tesla started making it work, 100,000 units. And it's at that critical mark now. So maybe it's poised to sort of you know, really win the market there. Yeah, look, you raise great points. Moses, you know, obviously raised great points. I mean, I just got back from Asia. You know, I was there for two weeks. I mean, in my opinion, the China story, the cuts they've done, that's the strategic poker move they needed to do. No doubt, demand softened. But I do believe we're starting to see some equilibrium. Where I look out into next year, you look at 2.3, 2.4 million units, 40, 50 percent of that needs to come from China. So to your point, no doubt, China is the hearts and lungs of the Tesla growth story. But it goes back to, look, the the bears have hated this. You go back five years ago, three years ago. And I get it. They view it as an auto company, as Danny talks about. I view it and have always viewed it as a disruptive technology company, which is why I view the sell-off here and a lot of the hate as more the opportunity to own it rather than the time that there's some sort of, you know, fire in a crowd theater. No hate here, all love. But you know what I think Elon Musk doesn't love? The fact that interest rates have been going higher. He made a point of talking sure. about it at length a couple of weeks ago. How important is the bond market to the Tesla bull story? I mean, I look, Musk called it out. And then again, it goes back to like, that was a disaster conference call. We talked about that, just the way that that was handled. Yeah, of course, it's very important because the price cuts, essentially nothing even happens to that relative to the consumer. And I think, as Nathan's talked about, ultimately, you need to see that come down. You need to see the China story stabilize. You have a lot of competitors come from all different angles. But if you look at Lucid and others, it's very hard to scale. And I think it just continues to come down. It is still Tesla's world and everyone else is paying rent in electric vehicles. So if you look at the gross margin part of the story, where do you think that's going? And what do you think is a right multiple, at least to think about, you say it's a disruptive company on many fronts, but the auto business alone, what, how do you yeah. think about that? So I think from a gross margin perspective, I think it troughs out over the next quarter or two. I do believe 95% of the price cuts in the rearview mirror. And I look from an auto, if you actually look at the EV business, I think the EV business is worth 250 to $207 per share. Then you start to look at the sum of the parts, the battery technology, 
FSD and what I view as the supercharger now with them essentially being de facto in the U.S., that's another 30 to 40 dollars per share. That's our view as a disruptive tech company, not as an auto company. Dan, let me ask you a question. How patient are investors going to be? A lot of the things have been on the come for a long time, right? And so CFO resigning to me has been there 13 years. Kind of got passed over. It's not a big deal. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But to me, when you see something like that occur, I'm not saying there's anything nefarious that's occurring, but that's a big deal as far as corporate governance and so forth. At what point, if the economy does start to slow away from Tesla, which they're going to be impacted by, which yeah. Musk has said, rates mm-hmm. are hurting, are people going to say, yeah, you know what, Cybertruck, maybe they're not going to deliver as many. Maybe the sentiment turns. I just feel like we're going to hit one of those air pockets. Yeah, and to your point, Zach leaving was a gut punch to the credibility of the Tesla story. Because he was one, especially from an investor perspective, many relied on him leaving. There's definitely a void. I think he even saw that on the conference call. But it comes down, Cybertruck, November 30th hits, you want to start to see vehicles actually delivered. Can you deliver, okay, we're talking about 200,000, can you deliver 50,000? Can you deliver 75,000? What that does to the actual model, it's important because then it's the drum roll, you need to see a sub 30K vehicle come. That, that's going to be built out of Mexico and ultimately probably another vehicle that comes out later next year. So these are important parts of the story. And I do view it's it's a little fork in the road time, but we've been there before with Tesla. And I view this, it's a bit white knuckle. And you'll see like today, many kind of, you know, I think you're definitely seeing the sentiment right now nervous, but I believe you sit here six, nine months now. This is more of an air pocket than the time that this actually starts to cascade. So Dan, we haven't been here before. So if we're gonna go from their expected 1.8 million deliveries this year to 2.4 next mm-hmm. year, you just said 30 to 40% of that has to come from China. They have 10% market share in China. Like, so they have some local manufacturers that are eating their lunch at a time where China's putting export restrictions on graphite, right? Like, 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 like the list goes on and on, and we haven't even had the recession to Danny's point here. So my, my only point is that they may not do in China what they did here in North America or Europe, and that blows a huge hole through the valuation story because they've spent so much time and energy really setting up to get to 50% market share or whatever, and they're never going to get there in China. Yeah, me and you have talked about that before, yeah. and, and that and that is, I believe, that is really a key to the bull bear story here. We believe China, they're actually going to be able to gain share. I think the price you're seeing stabilization there. I do believe from a scale and scope perspective, it gives them significant efficiency, especially from battery technology, that that's going to be important even from a margin perspective, 25, 30% higher margin for every car they sell in China versus U.S. But it comes down to backspin against the wall before in China. And I believe this is going to be a prove-it story that they're going to be successful on the other end. That's, that's our view, and that's, that's been key to the bull thesis. Look, when you look at the China story for Tesla, for Apple, you know, that, that's always sort of been the albatross that you're fighting. Um, I'm, this is the last bit. We're going so long. But um, in, in terms of China, in terms of how much of the stock is China, do you discount that at all for geopolitics, given where we are right now? Look, it's de- and again, just getting back from the region, like it's definitely clearly a nervous period. But I do believe, at least for right now, contained. I mean, I think there's some that's maybe in the, in the stock. But if I look how it actually plays out, unless there's a further black swan event, I think at least for right now, bark's worse than the bite. And that's sort of been our call on Apple as well. All right. Dan, thanks for coming by. No, thanks for having me. Dan Ives, Thank Wedbush. 
All right, so we're going to goodbye the guests, even though he's sitting right here. Yeah. Can I just say one thing before but, we go by? Yeah. This wardrobe, ridiculous. And I mean, it's in a good Very way. Jack, Very salmon, yeah. and he's got like the salmon. Do you like his fit? That's what the kids are <laughs> testing. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry about that. Um, so even while he's sitting there, I'm going to ask you, what is, the, what is the part of the argument that you disagree with the most? In terms of the bull case. Stabilization. That, that, that okay, thing. so stabilization in China. And again, these price cuts, I do think if the margins of the story... You're going to have to make up for it in terms of de- the demand's got to be that are offset yeah. declining margins. And I'm not sure it will be in terms of the consumer going forward and with interest rates where they are and where I think they're going to go. All right. Let's get to the markets now. The S&P and Nasdaq's long winning streaks coming to a close as markets turn sharply lower following a th- weak 30-year Treasury auction this afternoon. That sparked a spike higher in yields with the 10-year jumping back above 4.6 percent and the 30-year crossing 4.8. Add to that comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell, who said he is not confident that the central bank has done enough to bring down inflation. It's also worth noting Chair Powell was ushered off stage at mm. today's IMF conference in Washington as climate protesters overtook the stage. Powell, not happy with the interruption, had some choice words to say. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Just close the door. Close the door. By the way, you might think that we did that as a joke, but we we actually had to bleep that out. So. He said it. He said it. He said it. He said it. Um, but in, in terms, I mean, this really shows you because the move was really on the back of that auction that rates hold the key to the direction of the markets. Everyone's a bond auction expert now, yeah. right? Everybody's been watching. And I think there was a large short position, obviously, in the bond market for the last few weeks, which has now been covered. And I think that people got offsides on that type of positioning. I think we saw evidence of that today. There's no shorts left to buy these. So people are learning what when issued is on bonds, what a tail is on bonds and all these things. But the bottom line is, I think that the rate move lower to me is because the economy is slowing in, in general. And I think the trap is that people buy the stocks, stock market when rates are going down is just a reflex. And I think that's a trap. Yeah. Dan. Yeah. I, I mean, we, Guy's been saying this. I think, you know, if you rates accelerate and they go back through 5% in the 10 year, right? Like that's not going to be like great for stocks. And if they go lower and they go like much lower fast, like there's got to be something going on that's probably not going to be good for the economy, which shouldn't be good for the stock. So I just think that the rally that we've just had, 6% in the S&P and, you know, 9% in the NASDAQ, I just think it pulls forward whatever excitement, you know what I mean, like that you have in the near term. And, you know, like estimates are going to be coming down for 2024 earnings uh, in S&P. It's just going to happen. And so we're going to have to start thinking about valuations very soon. Coming up, the obesity drug battle is heating up. Shares of Eli Lilly retreating from yesterday's record, while AstraZeneca bets big in a different way in the space. All the details from the GLP-1 race next. Plus, Trade Desk tanks shares of the digital marketing company plunging after giving weak forecasts. We'll dive into that quarter straight ahead. Back in two. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Zepbound has the highest efficacy we've seen uh, in, a, in an approved drug so far, 20% weight loss at the highest dose. So I think a lot of people are waiting for this, a lot of uh, physicians, a lot of potential patients. We'll start shipping, as you mentioned, before the end of the year, and we expect a, a swift uh, uptake and ramp. That was Eli Lilly CEO David Ricks on CNBC in just the past hour discussing the company's newly approved obesity drug ZepBound. The company, uh, the stock pulling back from the all-time closing high it made yesterday, falling 4.5% for its worst day since September 2021. That move coming as AstraZeneca announced a deal with the Chinese pharmaceutical company Ecogene to license an experimental oral GLP-1 pill, which a company says could reduce side effects associated with Lilly and Novo Nordisk injectables. The drug is currently in a phase one trial AstraZeneca closing almost a percent higher on the back of that news. The reversal was really interesting. That's what we wanted to Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Two times normal volume mean interest, sell, the, sell the news type of event without question. I think Deutsche Bank initiated the space with neutral. So there are a lot of things working against it. I will say this again, probably for the hundredth time. We have seen moves like this before in Eli Lilly to the downside over the last year, year and a half. Every single one of them is terrifying. The story's over. The stock's going back to zero. I don't think that's what's going to happen here. I think every pullback has given you an entry point, and I think this is what we're about to see again now. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it looks like you know, $27 looks like a big move. It's actually not so big of a move considering the run that it's had. I, I agree it's a sort of, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news. But I do think the story is still very much intact. And I sort of wonder, though, should we be looking at some of the, we talk about all these sort of collateral right. uh, plays. Are they more interesting? Is the risk reward there more compelling, maybe, than owning the stock? Do you think that, the, you know, we've seen it play out in terms of, uh, you know, device makers, in terms of insulin device makers, uh, you know, all sorts of different ancillary sort of businesses that might be impacted by people losing a lot of weight. Yeah. Do you think the trade has played out in the insurance business? No, I what do don't. You think, I, what do you well, think I, the yeah. impact would be? People live longer. Right. Yeah. Therefore, their and life insurance. With yeah. fewer things to be covered, like cardiac yes. events and, you know. Oh, you're talking about health insurance? Health insurance. I'm talking about life insurance. Life insurance. Okay. Yes. Um, that I haven't really thought through. But health insurance as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So if you look at the estimates here, and guys mentioned the valuation in Lilly, but he's also mentioned that you, you buy every dip, or every dip has been a buy this year. You, you, expectations for 86% year-over-year earnings growth next year and, and on 16% sales growth, right? So we keep seeing all of these estimates for what these drugs could be. And I just say to myself, at some point, right, like that price advantage or that price take that they can have, right? There's so much competition coming on. Like mm -hmm. the stories are going to be, yes, all these studies that are going to be prescribed for all these different conditions. Um, but it's also going to be a lot of different competition that's coming online. So I just wonder if, like, this is probably as good as it's get. So you talk about the sell-off in the last day and a half or so. It was kind of expected the news, and it might be a sell in the news. It's a really expensive pharma stock that obviously is right in the catbird seat for a huge mega trend, but everyone else is coming for it too. Coming up, trade desk tumbles. We got a live report next on what is sending shares crashing lower. That trade next. Temperatures, meantime, may be cooling, but no one seems to have told the crypto markets. Could Bitcoin and Ether avoid another crypto winter, or is there another coming? 
crash coming. We are watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Trade Desk. Shares plummeting after hours on a week forecast. Steve Kovacs got the details. Steve. Yeah, Mel, it's down 28%. So shares are of Trade Desk reeling here after hours after reporting its third quarter earnings. Top line and bottom line beat is the good news, but traders focus more on current quarter revenue outlook, which came in below estimates. Spokesperson for the company telling me this light guidance was due to some, quote, transitory cautiousness from specific advertisers related to recent strikes in the auto and entertainment industry. Shares down nearly 30 percent now after hours, but still up over 30 percent on the year, Melissa. All right, Steve. Thanks. Steve Kovac. Blaming it on the strikes, which is a first, I think, that we've heard from in the advertising industry. I don't yeah. know, you look using, skeptical. Using the word transitory, that didn't go well for no. me. No. I don't know if I would yeah. use that at all. That's a big market cap to get hit. And I've been saying, if you guide down or miss, in this case, they made yeah. it, guide it down, you're going to get punished in this environment. I wonder, though, it's, I mean, I don't, I'm not close to the name, but just the idea of a miss on a strike, two strikes, right, right. that are now over. I mean, Meta had the same response. Mm -hmm. Meta talked about, you know, the Middle East situation and Mm -hmm. some caution and then has fully retraced that. I wonder if this is just way over. 19 Mm -hmm. times sales, right? Trading 70 times earnings. This is an 80 percent gross margin business. You know, sales expected to grow 20 percent a year. I mean, it's a good business. I mean, like, but you nailed it. I mean, every advertising model we heard in this earnings cycle before the tune changed a little bit last week was this caution or lack of visibility um, on ad spending. And again, you know, we've seen these like, you know, lots of job cuts by lots of companies. They're kind of, you know, put through price cuts or price, you know, uh, raises where they could. And then what do they do? They, they're going to cut advertising a little bit. So that's what's going on. 45, I think, was a low back in January. It's, it is expensive on that metric for sure. But there's going to be a place where it actually you step in and buy the stock. I don't think you – listen, you didn't see the capitulation during the day-to-day, obviously, because where it is now. But you get a day where it trades 35, 40 million shares, which you might get over the next week, and it trades down in the mid-40s. This is when you close your eyes and say, you know what, the worst might be behind it in terms of stock price. All right. Coming up, we are getting back in the crypto groove. Bitcoin and other tokens soaring over the past few weeks. But can prices keep climbing? And the latest on a potential Bitcoin ETF straight ahead. Plus, we are watching Win after its latest earnings reports, the, the number out of the quarter, and how one of our traders is going long in the betting space. Ahead, Fast Money's back in two. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks snapping their longest winning streaks in two years. The S&P and Nasdaq falling nearly 1%. The Dow dropping more than 200 points for its second loss in a row. Shares of Disney closing nearly 7% higher after its earnings beat last night. The company expanding its cost-cutting plan by $2 billion and adding 7 million more Disney Plus subscribers, bringing its total number of users to more than 150 million. And take a look at some other after-hours movers. Unity Software, Plug Power, and Illumina all lower after their results and guidance. The Disney move was impressive. Should be. I mean, we talked about it last night. Carter Worth actually had a trade in this, right? And I know Dan Nathan did as well. The fact that we, again, traded down to, we got down to that 79 level in the end of October, the same level we traded down to in the beginning of October, that was a sea change in terms of lower lows and lower highs. And now here we are at 90 bucks. I think the stock, but for, go ahead and make a funny joke there, Dan. For sitting. Exactly. <laughs> the broader market, this is a $93 stock. And it's quite frankly, on a benign tape, this stock can still go to 98. That's the level I said last night. Good for Disney. I think people behind the eight ball, they're going to start to play catch up. I think it goes higher. Those are all technical reasons, though. Yes. I mean, for the well, earnings. No, but hold on. Hold, yes. Mostly for, the, for technical. But I mean, you know, cost cutting, adding $2 billion to cost. I mean, free cash flow. The Bob free, Iger the, said that they're moving from fixing mode to building mode. Right. Are they? Are they in building mode? Are they not in fixing mode anymore? Do they not need to fix the legacy media assets? Real quick, the free cash flow number was great. Uh And the fact that they potentially reinstate dividend, I think all... So I think think it is going from fix to build now. But that's just my... We'll see. Well, free cash flow when you're on strike and you're not making content, that's helpful. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the bright spot that you see in... (laughs) Well, I, I mean, I think they're trying to do the right things, but I agree. I don't think legacy media is clearly not fixed. I don't know if they have a plan. We just don't know exactly what it is. We don't know exactly what ESPN will look like, right? I don't know. But great. I mean, I guess the bar was low. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. A crypto ETF is our move of the day. The ProShares Bitcoin strategy ETF trading at its highest level since June 2022. The fund capitalizing on Bitcoin's comeback. Bitcoin today hitting its highest level since May of last year. Let's bring in our next guest, Meltem Demirs mm. of CoinShare. She is a... Uh, Calling for Bitcoin to go higher. Melton, you there? Good to see you. I'm here. Good to see you. It's, um, the, it's the season of the most hated rally. That's what I call these times. It really is. So many people wanted to believe that it was dead, and yet the, bit, the, mm-hmm. the prospect of the Bitcoin ETF, and as I understand it, there's a window that is opening for possible approvals for this Bitcoin ETF. Are you expecting any before the end of the year? Look, I'm I'm a betting woman. I'm betting that we will see approval before the end of the year. If you look at on-chain betting markets, which are our fun proxy, they're also pointing at a yes. But who knows? Um, who knows what's going to happen with the SEC government? But I think everyone in the industry very optimistic. If we look at flows into Bitcoin products, we've seen six weeks of consecutive flows. We saw a little bit of an uptick in flows in August. Then we traded really flat, very low volumes. Last six weeks, we've seen a lot more activity, a lot more trading volume. We are now at $760 million of flows into Bitcoin products. In 2023, we have exceeded levels in 2022. So I think those are all indicators that institutional buyers are starting to position around Bitcoin, potentially rallying into year end and into Q1 of next year. 
Hey, Meltem, um, great to have you back on the show. Um, so talk to us a little bit. What, the excitement in and around um, spot Bitcoin ETFs is not just that institutions, it's an easy way for them to get into it, but is it also retail? Like, for instance, they could buy it in their IRA. And you just gave us a sense of what the year-over-year increases are as far as flows. What would you expect if there are some big spot ETFs? Like, how much would that increase, in your opinion? I think there's a lot of opportunity here, and you hit the nail on the head, Dan. I've talked about this a lot. I think the really big prize here is U.S. retirement accounts, tax-advantaged retirement accounts. That's super sticky AUM. And to date, if Grayscale, which is an incredibly inefficient product that has traded at a really high premium, now trading at a discount, if Grayscale has been able to amass $30 billion of AUM, no, you know, no telling what a BlackRock product will do. Um, obviously, they have fantastic distribution, huge network as well. So I think there's a lot of enthusiasm. The question is, how quickly will those flows materialize? I think it might take a few quarters. But again, there is just this tremendous demand. Fidelity's tapped a little bit of it with their advisor offering. They have a platform the market's not really talking about, but they've offered exposure for some time, mostly to their higher net worth clients. And uh, I think BlackRock will be huge. The other one I'm watching, by the way, Vanguard. If Vanguard makes the move, that to me will be a real indicator that the, the race is on. We'll also see some pressure on fees there. Uh, Meltemans, Karen, thanks for being on. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, pent up demand, pent up selling to be done in GBTC, for example. You've had a lot of holders that have been stuck there. Yeah. Do you, how do you think that ends up getting resolved? Is there is going to be enough demand to absorb that? I think the real question is, as we get closer to clarity on when and how that conversion to an ETF might happen, how much that discount closes. Right now, there are a lot of holders of GBTC who maybe are sitting on a loss, who maybe created shares in the past, who are waiting for you know that, that discount to close. Again, if we believe markets are efficient, it would indicate that as we get closer to that conversion, that discount will close. We're already seeing some of that action, but I think that will really be the primary question when it comes to how much selling we will actually see. But there's also a question of, you know, what will the market look like in terms of, of fees? The Grayscale product, it's, it's expensive, right? So if new products come in that are more efficiently priced, I think it will create some pressure and potentially some rollover into those newer, more efficient products. Meltem, Danny Moses here. Um, by the way, if I end up buying Bitcoin, everybody should run. I, I always yeah. don't, <laughs> don't own it here. But do you think all the bad actors have kind of played their way out of the space at this point? And as retail comes in, and I will say it's obviously been in very strong hands because the stock, the, the crypto held its levels for quite some time in the face of very bad news. Are we through the bad actor period, you think, or you think there's some still out there? Danny, I hope so. I don't know if I can t- take any more. Well, you and I have talked about Bitcoin in the past. Look, I've been here almost a decade now. I hope we're done. I can't take any more. I think um, the FTX trial, the SBF trial over the last few weeks, you know, really was a moment of catharsis. The guilty verdict definitely, I think, was sort of a, an ending of an era. Um, there may be a couple more shoes to drop, but I think at this point, everything's kind of known out there. There's no more forced sellers left. There's no more forced liquidation left. So I think I'm feeling pretty good. I say that and knowing crypto, something else will blow up in my face. But again, I'm, I'm optimistic that at this point, we've flushed most of that out. Really exciting day today, by the way. I just want to share this quick tidbit. I just saw this come across my desk. Today is the first day that CME futures volume exceeded Binance futures volume. Big day. Um, institutional venues for Bitcoin are now outpacing 
the more uh, crypto native venues. I think, again, just an indication that things are becoming more institutional, more mature, more professional, all things which I think are great for what I call the most hated rally. Malcolm, always good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Malcolm Demures of CoinShares, Dan. You know, the CME point is a really good one, yes. right? So if it's going to be a lot of more institutional demand because of the spot ETF, you're going to see a lot more futures trading in around that for a whole host of reasons, obviously leverage, but hedging and the like. And just the other thing, you know, we didn't talk about ETH. We haven't talked about Solana. Yeah. You know, we were talking about Robinhood the other night, and I kind of casually said, well, you could probably buy it down 10%. It's gone down a lot more. I think a lot of investors are looking at their customer base and saying, wait, they're not doing, they're not YOLOing the same stuff they were doing. But look at the price here. It's happening somewhere because People are speculating again in crypto. That's not a baked good that comes. Yeah, in the no. And I, I looked at you. Knew, you looked you at me. You made eye because like, I don't know. But right. as a kid, you only live once. You had yodels. Remember those? Right. I see. I knew where you. I, were. I know <laughs> you knew that I knew. That's why we looked good. at each other. Great job on the squawk box this morning, by the way. Yeoman's effort by you. Coming up from Bear to Bull, Danny has made a name for himself on betting against certain stocks, sectors, but now. There's a sector he's actually positive on. It's like Mikey likes it. We'll find out what it is next. But first, we've got some after-hours action for you. Capri and Wynn, both on the move after reporting results. We'll dive into the numbers and the trades next. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Capri Holdings, a luxury retail stock dropping after hours after missing revenue estimates. The company did, though, beat on earnings. Tapestry, which is in talks to buy Capri for $8.5 billion, jumped 3% during the regular session after a revenue miss before the bell. That name also lower in the after-hours session. What did you yeah. learn from these reports, Karen? Well, they're not in talks. They have a deal. They have a right. very mm-hmm. tight deal. Um, so I, there's no chance that Tapestry did not know about these earnings. They're not surprising. There was weakness in uh, luxury. We've seen that a few times before. The big thing here is how long will this FTC request goes on? If you knew that would close without issue, then this deal will close. There's $9 <coughs> to be made. But I don't know how long that will take. And if for some reason this deal breaks, which I don't think is the most likely outcome, I don't know the downside in Capri. Came from 35, but things are worse than they were then. Right. So you got to think it's lower than that. At some point, though, the ARB in me will end up buying Capri. Because you think it'll Because close. I do think it'll close. I think the, yeah. the, the argument against a retail merger, it's such a competitive world, right? Even though they're in accessible bags, I just don't think that's enough to block a deal. Never seen a deal like that. What kind of spread would get you in, though? I mean... Uh, I think now. there's more time to go. We're okay. not going to see the FTC thing resolved for so a little bit of you'll time. Wait. Yeah. So, so you I will keep wait. Your, yeah. Right. Money in your pocket. In my purse. In your, in yeah. your purse. <laughs> yes. And maybe your Kate Spade purse, which apparently needs to be innovated, according to Oliver Chen over at TD. Is that right? That's what well, you, that, you, gotta, you go to the real right real, and you get, you know, those channel purses or the Prada ones. I mean, you can get them at, like, half price, 40%. They're beautiful. They're the in, mid, really it's fantastic. Yeah. That's why this real real thing, I'm shocked that it hasn't caught on. Yeah. Why would you buy bust-out retail and go to one of these places when you can buy these bags in pristine condition at a discount? Sorry, that's the more. Are you like a paid spokesperson? No, I'm not. I doesn't make any money from Real Real. He is not affiliated with Real Real. Holds no position. No. Which is a publicly traded company. Noted. Isn't the more important thing here just retail in general and the consumer? 
demand. I mean, yes, there's a risk-arb opportunity, but I'm saying in <laughs> That gen- trumps everything no, in this trumps case. Everything. The yeah. kind of good this is. Exactly. Yeah. So I think right. that, to me, is more telling than getting involved. I'm not involved, obviously, in the stock, but to me, right. that, that's telling. So. All right. Coming up, the big short investor is Nabaran Everything. We'll reveal the one name Danny Moses likes and why he says this sector is under-owned. And here's a sneak peek at the Kramer camp. Jim is chatting exclusively with the Take Two Interactive CEO. Catch the full interview. Top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wind sinking in the after hours despite beating top and bottom line estimates for its third quarter. CNBC's Contessa Brewer's got more on this. Contessa. Yeah, Melissa, they beat overall, but Wynn Resorts missed in Macau, and that's what investors care about. Wynn's at 85 percent of pre-pandemic EBITDA levels. Remember, that's the key earnings metric in gaming. And the company has pivoted to catering toward customers in the mass segment, where in the years before the pandemic, the junket business and VIP segment was Wynn's wheelhouse. We heard that from Melco this week, too, that the virtual end of junkets has hit them hard. Still, CEO Craig Billings said on the earnings call, these third quarter results prove in Macau when can hold on to market share without the junkets. They're also highlighting cost discipline there, even amid a ramp up in the rebound to normal levels of visitation. They say operating expenses are 20 percent lower than 2019 before the pandemic. Now, Billings described Las Vegas activity as frenetic and set a new third quarter record in gross gaming revenue and hotel and food and beverage, up 12 percent there. With F1 next week, the company predicts its Las Vegas property will exceed all-time hotel revenue, get this, by 50 percent for those three days. Billing says the F1 fans are wins customer base. So they're really catering again to that international crowd and those high rollers, Melissa. But going back to Macau, Contessa, Billings is saying that they're holding on to market share uh, and that they're being very disciplined when it comes to costs. What gives then? How are they how do they miss the mark so much? Well, they have put some money into some new non-gaming offerings, they say, and that has cost some money. They say that uh, Win Palace is maybe on schedule for where they thought it would be, but but Win Macau is not and not quite uh, producing the results that they had predicted. Um, and so some of this may be about expectations from both Win and from investors. Uh, and some of it, it may just be that is there some ch- market share changing hands? Indeed, there is. In fact, I heard from Bill Hornbuckle uh, last month in Las Vegas that they'd gained about 5% of market share. And again, remember, everybody's catering to big spenders, but it's that mass segment now and premium mass. So people who are spending a lot of money, but not the highest of the high rollers, that uh, right now it looks like that's what's fueling Macau's business. Hmm. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. Guy. If you recall, Melissa, which you do, last night, when was my disaster? Bad job, G Swizz. That's really bad. It was down during the day. It's down again in the after hours. But then if you said to me, this is the quarter, this is what they're going to report, I'd be like, stock's got to be higher. Macau, it's, look at Macau and don't look at anything else. They're building a property in the UAE that's going to be fantastic. The stock is still cheap. They initiated a dividend. Good, 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 good. Macau bad, sell the stock. 
And now we're seeing a series still of lower, lower highs and lower lows. Until that's broken, I am sorry, folks. I missed the boat on this one. All right. Uh, let's say uh, at the poker table, our guest trader, Danny Moses, may be known for short calls, but he is making the bull case today on sports betting company DraftKings. What do you like about this one? It's a secular play in terms of the mm-hmm. sector in general. It's making a move. Give me a sector within the U.S. economy that actually is going to have growth, produce tax revenue, so forth. It's online gambling. It was a SPAC, DraftKings. So it already had a negative aspect to the company. They just reported blue away numbers. There's an investor day next week. They guided higher. And next year, they're now free cash flow positive. The one thing within the sector has been cost to acquire customers. Right. It's been extremely expensive. Now you see MGM, which reported they own 50% of BetMGM, which also says they're going to turn cash flow positive. You have Patty Power, which is Flutter, which is going to list on the New York Stock Exchange in January. Stock was down today, a little bit different mix. But the U.S. growth in online gambling is here. Now, the stocks had a big run. DraftKings obviously moved up on the earnings pretty strong. Still have a small, long position there. And I would certainly add into any weakness. But the sector in general, I'm involved in several private companies that I'm involved in and public companies as well. But to me, it's a growth engine. Yeah, so Dan, talk to us about market share here in the U.S. Like, where are the opportunities? Because it's been a two-horse race, right, between DraftKings and FanDuel, and now and obviously that MGA and those right. sorts of things. Like, so how do you think about you know these? It, like, it doesn't have to be a winner-take-all sort of situation. No, correct. I think there's listen, jurisdictions, markets get approved. Mike Rubin from Fanatics. Do you think he was getting into the sports gambling space? He's one of the most successful entrepreneurs of our generation, right? So he obviously sees it. Huge opportunities. Opportunity for content. The one thing that DraftKings is doing, I don't think people pay attention to, there's a DraftKings channel now. So when you think about the content and the ad, it's really changing. This whole sector is changing. A channel like How to Bet? A channel with content. Yeah, well, it has that. It has those all the time. And listen, we're in the middle of football season, so I get excited about gambling stocks in general. But I think this sector, again, because it was a SPAC, one of the few SPACs obviously do well, kind of got through the gauntlet, so to speak. I think it's interesting. And listen, it's a $16 market cap. It's getting pretty big. It's going to be hard, hard to ignore. So... Listen, think could pull back, obviously, but these are going to be free cash, free cash flow machines. I think they're going to diversify their business models over time. Tim Seymour sat in that very seat. The ambassador. Draft, the ambassador. So DraftKings, that was one of the best earnings reports this season so far. And they did show market share gains, rationalization when it comes to how much they're spending to acquire customers, et cetera. They're going to be profitable, prob- what, late Forever. next year? No, well, early next year. Early next year, which yeah. is more of a reason. They have their investor day, I think, on November 14th. I think this self is an opportunity to get a loan to stock. All right. Up next, final trades. <laughs> final trade time. Let's go around the horn. Danny Moses. Short upstart. It's a financial company masking itself as a tech company. Great to have Danny Moses here on set, by the way. Karen Feinerman. I have one. It's a financial company. It is kind of a financial company, but it's not a bank. Morgan Stanley, asset management and investment bank. Dan? Yeah, the SPY, SPY, it's ETF that tracks S&P 500. It <laughs> failed right at that downtrend that's been in place since July. I think it's a good level to play for a move back towards 4,200. This past Saturday, the Rangers, three-zip lead in Minnesota. They gave it back, lost in overtime. Well, you know what? They will avenge that few blocks south of us. Why are you shaking your head? We have limited time. Medtronic MDT, <laughs> back to you. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Meantime. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. 
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.